Welcome to The Buzz, I'm Christopher Conover. Over the last few years, new names have been added to local governments across southern Arizona. This week, we check in with some of them to see how their time in office has been. When Tucson Mayor Regina Romero was sworn into office two years ago, COVID-19 was barely a mention. That quickly changed. Now that Romero is at the halfway point in her term, we invited her to look back, look forward, and talk about the pandemic. She began our conversation talking about her accomplishments. We have made such important steps towards progress and towards what I talked to voters about when I first ran for mayor. Um, to talk about climate change and climate resiliency and sustainability in our city. We passed an electric vehicle roadmap. We are putting together a climate action plan. We created an equity office. We've hired a new chief. All this in the context of dealing with a global pandemic. And uh, thank goodness and thanks to our congressional um, delegation, we received millions of dollars in CARES funds that we put right back into the community. So we put millions of dollars into small businesses, into working families and frontline workers. We put millions of dollars to prevent homelessness, uh, to pay for rent and mortgage and utility assistance. Now, this December, the time off that I took, I also had the opportunity to think about what's coming in the future. What is it that Tucsonans want me as the mayor to care about and plan for and fix? What I see as my vision for 2022 and 2023 is to focus on reducing homicides and implementing our community safety, health, and wellness program. It's also on increasing housing affordability and reducing homelessness and road repair and investing in neighborhood streets. Those are issues that are um, important root issues to keep our community healthy and well. We started working with a city manager, with my council to institute, do research, and create a community safety, health, and wellness program that is designed with community engagement and input. And now we have a new police chief, Chief Casmar, that is 100% on board with taking a holistic approach of homicides and gun violence in our community and crime. And because, you know, he has said very clearly, Tucson police should not be the only organization or department in the city of Tucson that is responsible uh, for creating a, a safe community. You've mentioned that homicide number, which for 2021 was very, very high. And as you said, we have a new police chief. When you hired the new police chief. Did you give him any specific directives? This needs to change. TPD needs to do something different. No, that is the reason why Chief Kasmar is the person that's right for the job. One, uh, he knows 
our community. He is from our community. He grew up uh, in the Tucson Police Department, and he instinctively understands that a holistic approach to public safety is what we have to do. So he himself said, look, Mayor, I believe in what you're trying to do. And I believe in cooperating as a department because we're not going to arrest away um, the issues that we have. Crime, as he says, is poverty uh, brings crime. And uh, we have to make sure that we're investing in the zip codes, that we see crime and gun violence. We also see high rates of poverty and urban stress. His team is already working with uh, housing community development and nonprofit organizations that deal with homelessness and mental behavioral health, substance use disorders. And so um, we are also backing this program with money. We are investing American Rescue Plan dollars in violence interrupters, in youth employment program and second chance programs, investing in behavioral mental health programs, in affordable housing. A lot of those funds you just mentioned are federal dollars. They won't necessarily come back. Those are kind of one-time dollars. So what do we do in the long run? We can use those federal dollars to start it. But money, as you well know, is, is sort of finite. Well, that's absolutely correct. And that's why I'm institutionalizing programs such as the Community Safety, Health and Wellness Program. We're institution, we're actually are hiring our first director for that program. Uh, we've created a housing first director. And so we're not just using American Rescue Plan dollars. We're also using our general fund for the long haul. And uh, with the American Rescue Plan dollars, what we are doing is we are using these funds to have quick investments into purchasing affordable housing opportunities, either land or hotels, so that we can use our housing first model. Transformative change, that is what we're trying to do with the American Rescue Plan dollars. And with the positions that we're creating and the programs that we're creating, we're using general fund dollars so that they survive. The other piece of the quality of life that I want to make sure that we work on is that we need to um, invest in our roads and fix our neighborhood streets. So we also have federal funds that we can tap into as a city through the bipartisan infrastructure bill. But the past two years, we have done something that no previous mayor has done before. We have invested general fund dollars into fixing and repairing our roads. And we've invested $14 million of general fund dollars, plus an additional $20 million of Proposition 101 funds, and another $6 million on top of that of highway user revenue funds. Plus, we've got a plan, and we've created Move Tucson. Now we need to make sure that we're talking about long-term funding for that plan. So three issues, uh, homicides and uh, um, community safety, health, and wellness, um, housing affordability and ending homelessness, and fixing our roads and fixing our neighborhood streets. 
as we wind this up, I remember talking to you on the day you were sworn in, and we talked about some of the things we, we've talked about today. The one thing we really didn't talk about was COVID. Well, now here we are two years later, and it, it's something everybody talks about. We've the, the city has tried mask mandates and vaccination mandates for employees and things like that. Some of them have worked. Some of them have ended up in court and have been struck down. So with with the wonderful 2020 hindsight that we all have looking back, is there anything different you would have done over the last two years with regards to COVID? You know, we're learning as we go. Uh, this is changing. This is something that we had not seen a pandemic of this nature in a hundred years in the world. And I, I feel confident that the decisions that I've made in order to protect Tucsonans have been the right ones. Now, what we're hearing is that, you know, we have to use um, N95s or KN95s that uh, what we're seeing from our public health experts is that 99.9% uh, .9 of the people that they see in the hospital and that are at our ICUs are unvaccinated individuals. So it is very important that we encourage our friends, our family, our colleagues, um, and their children to be vaccinated because uh, we will not see any alleviation of this pandemic if we don't do it together. And I vaccinate myself for my children, for my coworkers, for my mother, uh, for my health. When it comes to public health, getting a vaccine using a, an appropriate mask and doing everything that public health experts um, recommend is um, is not just good for me and my health, but it's good for the health of my family and our community in its entirety. We just have to make sure that we have the funding that we need to test our, you know, our, our residents, uh, to help provide masks, and uh, to keep each other safe. So ready to continue fighting on this, but but really focusing on the vision of what citizens in Tucson need. And those are very simply put, uh, meat and potato quality of life issues, affordable, stable housing for our community and our residents, uh, good roads, good neighborhood streets, and public health and safety. That was Tucson Mayor Rahina Romero. The mayor mentioned Tucson's new police chief and the rising number of homicides. One of the issues faced by TPD and departments across the country is recruiting. Tony Paniagua has the story from two recruiters in different cities where open police jobs are plentiful. When Melissa Ayan was in her early 20s and working in Tucson as a waitress, she started thinking about her long-term plans. Aeon had two children, and she wanted to ensure their needs would be met. I grew up without medical insurance, so providing that for my kids was a really big deal for me. I didn't want them to have the same kind of worries that I had when I was growing up. And I felt like it was a career that would provide a good, positive example for them. 
While exploring various options, Aeon toyed with the idea of going into law enforcement. This wasn't my lifelong dream. This wasn't like, oh, since I was a little girl, I wanted to be a police officer. Uh, this kind of happened. She had already taken the Tucson Police Department's written test one time and failed. But a couple of officers who were occasional customers at the restaurant where she worked encouraged her to try again. She followed their advice. Mostly it was the pay and the benefits and the stability that attracted me to it. In January of 2006, she graduated from the Tucson Police Academy, going from waiting tables to patrolling city neighborhoods. It totally worked out and I've been very blessed in my career. It's been a wonderful experience for the most part. 16 years into her profession, Officer Aon is now a recruiter for the Tucson Police Department. Like many other agencies across the country, TPD is actively seeking personnel. The department uses social media, paid advertisements, job fairs, and other methods to spread the word. Everyone always asks me, how many people are you hiring? There's no set number. We are hiring as many people that we can get that are qualified and can successfully make it through the hiring process. That includes the written test, an extensive background check, and the police academy. The same holds true about 450 miles northeast of Tucson in the city of Albuquerque, New Mexico. My name is Peter Silva, and I am a police sergeant with the Albuquerque Police Department. Coincidentally, Sergeant Peter Silva has been with the Albuquerque Police Department for 16 years and is now a recruiter, just like fellow officer Melissa Aon in Tucson. In addition to virtual recruiting, digital ads, and other efforts, Albuquerque has paid for billboards in various municipalities, including Phoenix and Tucson. You may have seen the billboards here in recent weeks. I don't have the exact figures on how much the, they're, <clears throat> they're spending. I mean, they're, obviously billboards aren't uh, free. And what we're seeing around the country really is police agencies reaching outside of just their, their local areas to recruit police officers. From Texas to Colorado to Arizona and beyond, Albuquerque is offering a $10,000 bonus for cadets and up to $15,000 for lateral transfers from other departments. In Albuquerque, new graduates from the academy begin with base salaries of about $44,000 annually, with a raise to more than $65,000 after one year of service. In Tucson, according to their website, the starting salary is around $54,500. Future raises are being addressed by contract negotiations between the police union and the city. But it's not just about the money or the benefits, recruiters say. According to 2020 U.S. Census data, Albuquerque is the 32nd largest city in the nation by population, followed by Tucson at 33rd. Both are known for their wide-open spaces, southwestern flavor, and plentiful sunshine. And those are some of the selling points for potential employees. It may surprise you, but we see a lot of people coming down to um, Albuquerque from the area of like Michigan and stuff like that. Sergeant Silva and Officer Aon say their careers also offer opportunities for growth since each department has specialized units. In addition, Officer Aon appreciates breaking stereotypes. One of the things that I love is I don't think I look quote unquote, like a police officer. <laughs> I am a small statured female. It's unexpected. Um, I do know my limitations. I'm aware of my capabilities and I am not out to prove anything to anybody. I, if I need help, I ask for it. If I'm in a situation where I think I might need another officer, I don't hesitate to ask. It wouldn't be fair for me to sit here and say, oh yeah, you know, it's a great career and it's all, 
all rainbows and sunshine. Um, it is, it's challenging, but that's also, it's all in perspective, right? It's in how you look at it. Like it's an investment of time and you're constantly growing. Her mission now is to convince a new generation to follow in her footsteps as recruiters elsewhere scramble to do the same. For The Buzz, I'm Tony Paniagua. You're listening to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week we're talking with new government officials in southern Arizona and looking at some of the challenges they face. In 2020, Santa Cruz County residents elected a new sheriff, David Hathaway. He replaced Tony Estrada, who spent nearly three decades in that office. The Buzz producer Emma Gibson sat down with Sheriff Hathaway, who began talking about his predecessor. He set the record for the longest-serving sheriff in Arizona, like you said, so a total of 28 years. And, you know, there, there wasn't a lot new to me about the position because I've grown up here. I was born in Nogales. Um, you know, I've worked in ranching and retail in construction. I was a substitute teacher after I went to the U of A in Tucson. I started out in law enforcement here in the 1980s as a deputy sheriff. And then I went on a, on a federal career. Uh, so there wasn't like a lot new about this, this work. And I, my last assignment with the federal government was as an agency head here in Nogales, the head of the DEA. And in that position, I worked a lot with the sheriff's office and with Sheriff Tony Estrada. So he was one of the few advocates for the border relationship with Mexico, the kind of the bicultural community. He understood the economic relationships with Mexico, how important Mexico is to the U.S. economy, the familial relationships. A lot of families have relatives on both sides of the border. I continue in the same messaging that Tony Estrada had as far as how important our relationship is with Mexico. Have you had any surprises in your first year or any difficulties throughout the pandemic? Well, the one big surprise was the amount of uh, media coverage, press interviews related to the border. I have become very familiar with the border issues and the statistics just because I am asked about that so often. It's just kind of a interesting thing that there are 3,000 sheriffs in the U.S. and and I don't get asked about the issues that 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 uh, most sheriff's offices are working on. The, the two priorities of any sheriff's office is violent crime and property crime. But in this county, I almost exclusively get asked about about border issues, which I don't mind because I can give I can be a good ambassador for the area, give very positive messaging about the border. Um, so I always do that when anybody asks me about the border, even if they're trying to put words in my mouth and get me to say some sort of hostile rhetoric, I can I can counter that with all the positive things that are actually having, happening along the border. So when you ask me, are there any surprises? That was the big surprise. I've had some encounters. I've butt heads with the governor of Arizona, with Governor Ducey, who wanted to militarize the border, wanted to send the National Guard to the border. And he assumed that all the sheriffs would say, yes, um, turn our border communities into a war zone. But I gave a, a definite no to that proposal. I had the, the head of the National Guard of Arizona on behalf of Governor Ducey call me and ask me how many uh, soldiers he should send to the border and the equipment. And since I'm the chief law enforcement officer for the county, they have to ask my permission. And I said, no, absolutely not. I don't want, I don't want this to be an, a war zone. 
when the National Guard put razor wire on the border fence, it already created very negative optics. You know, it made it look like we lived in a war zone and it hurt our tourism. Our, our local merchants were complaining about that. Our mayor here in the Nogales and myself, we have always complained about that and tried to get the federal government to take the razor wire off the fence because it makes it look like we live in a concentration camp or a war zone. And we don't like that imagery because it does make people say in Tucson or Phoenix, think twice before they come down to Nogales. And they should come here. It's a very mild climate. It's cooler than Tucson and Phoenix. We get more rain. It's greener, very friendly people. Our crime rate down here is lower than Tucson and Phoenix. It's lower than the average for Arizona. So despite what people hear, it is very safe. Now, I want to zoom out a little bit. All the issues that, that you come in contact with every day, what are some of the, the reasons, what are the, some of the needs that you have when it comes to state support or federal support, and are you getting that support? Yeah, you know, we're, we are a very unique county, Emma. We're the smallest county in Arizona. We have the third highest unemployment rate in Arizona, so we, we don't have a big tax base, but we're also unique that we have the biggest ports of entry with Mexico the Deconcini, the Mariposa Port of Entry, the Morley Port of Entry. We have the biggest ports of entry of of any county in Arizona uh, with Mexico. Um, So, you know, we rely a lot on that relationship with Mexico that we're talking about. But since we are a very small county um, and our budgets are limited, one of the things I proposed during my campaign was to greatly expand our volunteer program. And and we have done that. Our volunteer program has two components. We have a search and rescue group that is almost entirely volunteers and also a a contingent of volunteer deputy sheriffs, where we call that our law enforcement assist program, our LEA program. And we have doubled the size of that program in the past year. And we are now training those individuals and we are about ready to have a graduation. We don't have a lot of the problems that bigger communities have like drive-by shootings and gangs and things. We just don't have that sort of thing. We're a transshipment route for drugs that come across the border to go to other areas. So, you know, there are illegal substances moving through our community, but we don't have a big, a big drug drug use problem here like we do in other areas. There is some, and we want to nip it in the bud, um, but but we don't have a big problem with that. And, and while I'm on that subject, a lot of people don't know that the biggest problem facing law enforcement right now is uh, drug overdose and suicide, and it's mainly fentanyl. Drug overdoses are, are way up, like our drug overdoses are up three times of what they were uh, going back to like 2019. And even Pima County is setting records for the number of drug overdose deaths. We train all our deputies on the use of of, uh, of Narcan, which is a nasal spray that counteracts the effect of an opioid overdose, which is what, you know, that would be fentanyl, heroin, morphine, things like that. And most of our overdoses are opioid overdoses. Are you in Santa Cruz County, are you having any recruitment issues for your deputies or retention issues? Yeah, we're having the retention issue big time, Emma. Huge, especially in our detention center. It's not that people don't like working here. It's just the pay here is way lower than anywhere else. It's lower than Pima County or 
uh, other agencies like the State Department of Corrections. They hire corrections officers. They pay more than we do. The deputies are paid more elsewhere. Uh, practically any other law enforcement agency in the state, whether it's Veterans Administration Police, South Tucson Police, Tucson Police, um, the uh, Arizona Department of Public Safety, the federal agencies, they all pay more than we do. Now, the people we recruit down here are typically very happy with working here. They like working as detention officers or as deputy sheriffs, but they after this kind of becomes a stepping stool, like a doorway into a law enforcement career. They, they come work for us, they get trained, and once they're trained, then they start looking for places where they can earn more money. But the, the people that leave here, when I do exit briefings, they all tell me they're very happy with the uh, work here and the work conditions, and they like Nogales, they like Santa Cruz County, they like the friendly people here. Um, but it just becomes a financial issue. So, yes, we are we are having problems with retention, and we we don't know what the answer is to that. It's mainly on with our detention officers that run our our, our jail here. Uh, but the deputies, we have we don't have many retention problems there. As a matter of fact, I have one of the other things that I've done since I've been here is to designate a specialty officers to do special things. Like I designated a ranch liaison officer. That would be somebody that would do liaison with the ranching community. And if I had more personnel, I would do more other additional specialty functions like liaison to the produce industry. The produce industry is the biggest industry down here, but we just, we're a very small agency. Like I only have 38 sworn officers, 38 deputy positions. Um, and so there's there's only so much we can do. And when I designate a specialty function, it's usually as a collateral duty where they have to do that in addition to their patrol function. They have to do, say, for example. But back to your original question, yes, retention is a real issue. Um, recruitment, not so hard. We continually get people coming in and applying here, uh, but then maybe they'll work a year or two and then go go apply someplace else where they can make more money. That was the Buzz producer, Emma Gibson, talking with Santa Cruz County Sheriff David Hathaway. And that's the Buzz for this week. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Emma Gibson produced this week's show with help from Samantha Larned, our production assistant. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer, and our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.